I see some little ones in the front row here. The cuties over there, cuties over there. Um, I mean, there's cuties all over the room, but you know, every, everybody just comes for the babies, don't they? Isn't that true? Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we're continuing our series this weekend in the book of First Thessalonians, and it's Paul's letter, and he's writing to give some instruction, some guidance, um, some warnings to this young church. And here is our core passage. I'd like to read it. Then we're going to kind of pick it apart, make some observations as we go along. Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone, and see to it that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Now, we, we started this series several weeks ago, and now we come to the, really the last chapter of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And we've talked about, in a number of ways, what it means and what it looks like to live a thriving, Christ-centered life. And Paul's writing to this church who has, uh, you know, they've grown, they've taken some significant steps forward, they've become models and examples, and yet that doesn't prevent him from giving them some final advice, some final encouragement, some final even challenge and warnings. See, Paul was an apostle, and he had traveled from region to region, city to city, and in each place he, he shared Jesus with the people. And in many cases in those cities, a church was born, and he helped establish those churches, and then he put leaders in place at each of those churches. It's why we have all these letters in the New Testament, like the letter to the Ephesians, or the Corinthians, or or the Thessalonians. And Paul has experienced much. He's seen much. He, he knows what a healthy, thriving church looks like, and he also knows some of the danger signs of a church on the verge of moving inward or crumbling, uh, divisiveness, uh, hardship, sin leaking in to the walls of the church body. And so he writes to the Thessalonians so that they will avoid anything that would keep them from truly thriving as a church. And so Paul's, Paul's words to the Thessalonians are very, very significant for us in the here and now, right here this morning, this weekend at the chapel. I think about like, well, what if, what if we were to live these things out? Well, man, we would... Well, we'll continue to thrive. But what if we don't get it right? Danger could be right on the horizon. And so we really want to take heed Paul's challenge and his warning together this weekend. So here's how he began. He says, dear brothers, we're going to break it into two sections. In this first section, again, he addresses them as brothers and sisters because he looks at them like family, which is how we ought to Look at each other like family. He says, and honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. 
Why? He says, because they work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. And so he says, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with one another. So, so Paul's giving them an admonition of how to thrive as a church. And part of that admonition has to do with having healthy relationships between people and their leaders. Leadership is, is critical. It's important. I mean, everything in some sense rises and falls on leadership, but then having a healthy relationship with those that you lead. And those that are following, having a healthy relationship and trust with those that are leading you. And so Paul says, honor those that are your leaders. Now, this is, it's kind of weird because I feel like, I mean, well, I am the campus pastor, so honor me. Like, like, it feels weird to stand up here and say, honor your leaders. That's me, or that's us. And yet the word, the word that he uses for leader here, it's not a title word. It's not referring specifically to the pastor or the, the, the bishop or the elder. It's a more generic term for anyone that is in a leadership role within the church for our sake, together. In fact, the word leader means to anybody that teaches or directs or protects or provides or manages. And just like in Paul's day when he established these young churches, they would, they would give people leadership roles within the church. In the same way that we give leadership roles to people in the church, some of those are staff roles, some of those are volunteer roles. I think about our, our team right here at the Port Clinton campus. Um, Becky, she's back in the hallway right now, and she's just loving on kids and those that lead our kids. And man, I respect Becky. We just had our, our annual reviews, and I love it whenever I can say to Becky, Becky, I never have to question your heart, your motivation. We always feel your trust. That's, a, that's, a, that's no small thing. Those of you that live in a workplace and where there's a lack of that, you know what that feels like, right? And of all places, we should have that within the church. Or I think about Ken Rawson, who leads our student ministries. Um, today, he'll be having lunch with our high schoolers. Uh, right now, he's probably out in the student center hanging out with middle schoolers. And, and Ken, I mean, Ken and his wife, Jen, they've given their whole lives to student ministry. I mean, for years and years and years, he's been doing this. Nobody loves middle school students like Ken. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's no small thing, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I'd like to drop mine off and just leave them. <laughs> I think it was Mark Twain or somebody that said, no, maybe it wasn't Mark Twain. I don't know who it was. They said, you know what you do with teenagers? Um, when, they turn, well, when they turn 13, you, you put them in a barrel, and then you, you cut a hole in the barrel so they can breathe, you know. And then he said, when they turn 16, you plug the hole. <laughs> uh. but, but, I mean, Ken and Jen and, and our, our student ministry volunteers, they're in it with our students. I just saw a picture of a, of a high school basketball game, and there was like a pack of our chapel student leaders there just to love and support and cheer on some of our students at a basketball game. I think about Spencer, it's his birthday today, and, and, and the way that he leads us in worship every weekend. 
And like I said before, the way that he pushes other people to the front of the stage to lead us in worship. It's a heart of humility and a heart of passion for Jesus and longing for people to just engage and be reminded of the truths of Scripture through the songs that we sing. And and I think about Jim Lucas. Jim, he wears so many hats at the chapel. He's, he's one of our elders. And the, the, man, the, our elders are leaders in our church. That's who Eric and I report to as lead pastors. And the, the weight that they carry in decision-making and the prayerful attitude that they that they live out with those decisions on behalf of you, our church body, it's no small thing. And this is why Paul says, honor your leaders because of the work that they do. And, and I mean, this is just the staff right here at the Port Clinton campus. And we have staff members that support um, things that go on here that aren't here. <laughs> But the programs that you, that you see is done by a communications team that, that leads the charge there. And, and then you think about the myriad of lead volunteers, right? Myra Jones, who oversees our first impressions team, and Vicki, who stepped in while Myra is away on a short-term mission to, to just help all the more, and small group leaders who open up their homes or come to this building and open up the room early and make coffee and and prepare everything so that they can help people grow in faith and share life together and they pray for each other. And the number of leadership roles and how critical that is and the relationship between leaders and God's people, the congregation. And Paul says the reason that we should honor them is because, what, they work hard. They work hard among you and they give spiritual guidance you know, the, the Bible says that those that are in leadership roles, especially those of teaching, he says, he makes this warning. He says, if, if anyone leads one of these young ones, and it's not just talking about infants and babies, it's talking about young people in the faith. He says, if anybody leads one of these young ones in the faith astray, it would be better for them to have a giant stone tied around their neck and that stone to be thrown into the deepest of waters. Like there is a, an accountability and there is a weight of spiritual leadership. And I know it because I live it, but our team, they know it. And I want to tell you, you should be proud of your team. Man, they love you. They love this church. And some of the things that they carry, not on Sunday, I mean, yeah, it's still there, but on Sunday, they, they just... They just put all of us first. And the, some of the things that they face and feel and are going through in their own personal lives on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and the, the way that they, they interact with people who are going through heavy, hard things, and I mean, they're, they carry the weight of that with them. In fact, that word work that Paul uses here, he says it, it's, it means to exert energy to the point of weariness and fatigue. And I've seen our staff, they lead, but they lead with a limp. They lead with, with, with hardship and toil and deep compassion and care. And this is why Paul says we ought to honor uh, them. 
And he says, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Because of their work. Not because of their position, not because they hold a leadership position, but because of the way they, that they live and that they lead and that they love. He says they're deserving of great respect, like double honor. And he says wholehearted love. And let me tell you something. Uh, I know some other pastors at other places and their churches are not thriving, and part of it is because there's a lack of love and respect within the leadership and within the people. And you've got people that are over here, and it's kind of like this us and them mentality. And all of a sudden, the church becomes divisive and even sometimes divided. And maybe some of you in this room, you've, you've walked through some of those hard situations. You've been a part of a church where you've seen that happen, and and leadership crumbles from the top down, and so much of that has to do with, first of all, their hearts towards Jesus, but then it has to do with our hearts towards each other. But man, when, when it's working right, when there's healthy, humble leaders, and there's loving and honoring people, the church can just thrive. It becomes un leashed to do its greatest and its most important work. And I want to tell you, I see that here. When it says, show them great respect and wholehearted love, I feel that. I, our team feels that. And let me just encourage you, just keep, keep doting on them. Keep loving them. Keep encouraging them. When, when, you, see, when you see Ken walk into the room, or when you see uh, Becky come down the kid's hallway to check on some parents or, or to take, take care of a crying baby, just encourage them. Love them. It means the world. <laughs> so Paul, he's giving the, the Thessalonian church some guidance of how to continue to thrive and what to watch out for. And, and, and then he says, and live peacefully with each other. You know, when, when leaders and the people live in peace with each other because there's mutual respect and love and care, it changes everything about the, the culture and the feel of that church. Think about it. When we live peacefully with each other, peace leads to safety, and where there's safety, families thrive. Peace leads to honesty, and where there's honesty, then authenticity can thrive. That's one of our core values as a church. When peace leads to care, then love for one another, that thrives. And when there's peace, it leads to giving. And where there's giving, generosity can then thrive. And Paul wanted to see the Thessalonian church live out all these things, but he knew that that had to do with peace. And it started with peace between um, the, the leadership and the people. But then he moves on in this second section, and, and we're going to see that he also has some wisdom and advice, not just for the leaders and the people, but now for the people to the people. That's all of you guys. Like, just look across the room. Look at all those people. Go ahead. Look at each other. You guys are good looking. Look at that. There's people over there. Did you guys know that over here in this section? There's a whole other part of the chapel family over here. It's really awesome. You should meet some of them. 
Now, Paul gives some, some concluding advice now to, um, to God's people, the Thessalonian church, not just about his relationship with them or their relationship to their leaders, but their relationships with one another. So here's what he continues to write. Brothers and sisters, he addresses them again. We're family. He says, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Paul begins, he says, we urge you. And he's used this word before in the book of Thessalonians, and we learn this, it's a strong word. It's like, this is not a suggestion. <laughs> he's like, let's do this. Urge, he says, I'm meeting with you, I'm urging you. He says, and what does he say to urge? He says, I urge you to warn those who are lazy. And that gets your attention, doesn't it? <laughs> None of us want to be known as lazy. Actually, the word here, it's not just talking about, you know, somebody sloughing off on the couch, which we'll all be doing watching the Super Bowl later, right? Uh, it's actually talking about those who live irresponsibly. I love the way that author Mark Howell puts it. He says, today, the lazy or the irresponsible, they take on many forms, from the gifted pew sitter who never gets involved to the opinionated busybody who criticizes everyone he says, these are the ones who undermine the authority of their leaders by stirring up dissension. They refuse to use their spiritual gifts while critiquing those who do. <laughs> and I mean, he goes on and on, but we'll just pause there because we get the point, right? And Paul's using strong language here, and he says, warn them. Warn those that are irresponsible, that are living lazy Christian lives, and they haven't engaged fully in the life of the church. And in fact, they may be doing things that may be breaking it apart. Warn them. And then, then he says, encourage those who are timid. Now, when I think of the word timid, I, think, I immediately think like, who, me? You know, like shy. Like, um, and and it, it, sometimes, yes, timid, timidity can be part of our personality. But I think Paul here, the original language is broader than that. It's, it's talking about those, honestly, who, are, who have become discouraged, maybe a little bit afraid. Maybe it's because they got hurt or wounded in the church, and so they're timid. They're timid about re-engaging. Um, we have people here, I mean, our church is full of people that have unfortunately been wounded in churches, and maybe they gave up on church a long time ago, and maybe they even gave up on Jesus because of that, but they're back, and, and they're timidly giving Jesus and giving the church a try again to see if it's safe, if, if it could be different. And Paul says, encourage the timid, the ones that might be fearful, the ones that might be a little bit hesitant, and maybe you know some of them, or maybe you are one of them. And if that's you, I'm... I'm so glad we, we together here, we are so glad that you are here and that you're giving church a try again. Uh, I love the way Ch Charles Swindoll puts it. He says, this, this gift of encouragement, it may be wrapped in an affirming word, a gentle touch, a smile, a shoulder to lean on, or it may simply be 
your presence. Encourage the timid. And then Paul goes on, he says, and take tender care of those who are weak. Now, this, this word weak doesn't necessarily mean physically weak. Um, it, it really means those that might be spiritually weak. Maybe it's those that are very young or new in their faith, or maybe it's somebody that has journeyed in the faith, but something has happened in their life, and it's caused them to really wrestle and question things, and they're they're, 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 they're trying to trust God, but they're wrestling with doubts or fears about the future or fears about the day. And Paul says to the whole church, if, if we want to thrive together, then we'll show tender care to those that are weak. We're not going to judge the weak. We're going to come alongside of the weak. And if you're here this morning and you're feeling weak in the faith, you're welcome here. <laughs> you know, Paul, who wrote this letter, I mean, we kind of look at him as like a spiritual giant because he wrote all kinds of letters that are included in our, in our New Testaments of our Bibles, and he helped plant and start so many churches. You know that Paul was weak? In another one of his letters, he talks about wrestling with this, this thing that he just begged God to take it away from him. And you know what God's response was to him? It's found in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said, my grace is all you need. For my power, God was saying this, my power works best in weakness. So if, if you're feeling weak in your faith, just know that you're in one of the best positions you can be. If, if we turn to Jesus and if we turn to each other, God's power can explode in the midst of that weakness. And then Paul says one final thing, and I've got a problem <laughs> with Paul. Be patient with everyone. Patience is, uh, I say, everybody can be patient for a little while. <laughs> Patience is tough, isn't it? And, and if you've got a church full of people that are timid and shy and weak and, and oh, not to mention, oh, sinful, right? I mean, we're, we're all still living this life with our own sinful nature, our own sinful attitudes sometimes that leak out, our own judgments that, that leak out. Some of the comments or words that sometimes we say that weren't the most gentle or kind well, we're going to need some patience. You're going to need patience with me. I'm going to need patience with you. We're going to need patience with each other. So Paul says, be patient. And he says, uh, be patient with everybody. <laughs> and that patience is based off of God's patience with us. Joel 2.13, the prophet says, speaking about God, he says, God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger, rich in faithful love and he relents from sending disaster. He's slow to anger. Man, think about how we just got to, when, when, when we're feeling impatient with someone else, just think about how patient God has been with you and me. Man, we are so fortunate. We are, I'd say we're lucky, but it's not luck. It's grace. It's mercy. It's patience.
God's calling us to extend what he has extended to us to each other. And finally, Paul says, and see to it that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. He says, make, make, let's make our lives in the church about doing good, that, that we don't seek revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? He says, but do good to each other. That's within the church. Like, let's just keep doing good with each other and for each other. And then he says, and to all people. Paul extends his, his commands, his challenges to the church beyond the church itself to the world out there. He says, don't pay back evil for evil. Do good even to the people out there that aren't doing good and maybe don't even deserve it. He says, just do good and care for all people. Aren't you grateful for the good news of the gospel? Because that, that's it. You know, God did good for us when we were not good. Well, the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. And Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians so that they will thrive. And I think, man, I'm so grateful to be a part of a place where there is real life. Where, where, there, where we are thriving in so many ways. And so let's, let's not take that for granted, church. Let's not take the mission for granted. Let's not take each other for granted. Let's keep encouraging the timid and building up the weak and being patient with everyone. Would you pray with me? God, thank